In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. The number one distraction that we have in our generation is technology. So give yourself permission to disconnect. Detox first, otherwise the craving will overshadow it. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and as usual, I'm here with my brother from another mother, Dale Culver, how you doing, man? I'm doing wonderful, Jim. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Hey, we want to make sure we let our guys know that uh, I'm really not. I was just like, a, I was just saying that to be polite. Want to make sure we had our guys head on over to uh, give us a review on uh, about this podcast. Sure, do appreciate that, guys. Uh, get your encouragement, your hero stories. We've got some hero stories coming up that are going to blow your mind, and so keep those coming, guys. We want to we want to put you on display and give God the glory for what He's doing in your life. And so I got to tell you, Dale, uh, I am. Really excited about this guy today. You know, our guests are all real powerful and have done great things. But when I read this guy's book, I wasn't expecting it to hit me. Usually I read books as a podcast interviewer. This book, I found myself diving in as a person and slowing my reading down. And I have already implemented three things from this book into my own life. The first one is at night, I put my phone in a separate room while charging Except if Shanna's coming back from a trip, then I'll, I'll put it on my bed so in case of an emergency. Number two, I am telling my board from now on when we meet face-to-face, no more computers, no more cell phones, no more iPads. I want to have a digital free room so mm, that we remove all distractions good. and we can focus. And number three is when I come to work, as you know, Dale, I've been experiencing a lot of uh, stress lately with the, with the ministry. And I think a lot of that has been my futile attempt over the last three or four years of multitasking. So I am no longer doing that. My phone is in my truck. My Wi-Fi will be turned off, and I'm going to focus. So those are the three things I'm doing, so I'm super excited about that. That's awesome. I so like it. I don't know what you're doing today, but I hope you have a man word, man. You got one for me? Dude, I got, I got, I got reviews. I got man words. I got all kinds of stuff. What, what do you want? What do you want? All right. Well, man, word today. I was just thinking about this, and uh, solitude is a great word because I think, I think you kind of hit on it too. When I think of solitude, I think of shutting off that technology. Um, 
I, I remember very fondly of, or I think of very fondly of the times that you and I would go to the the little Trappist Abbey, the the monastery place here in our town. Uh, we'd split up for the day, and all we would take with us is a Bible, uh, a journal, and a pen, and we would just go get away, and just sit quietly. And and what would result of that was so amazing, and so filling. And so needed, and I don't think men this in these days uh, do that enough. And so you get so busy, and you don't take the time to hear from God, get centered, that we just kind of spin out. Well, I, I want to say this, Dale, because I agree with you 100%. But I do want to clarify a point, and there is a difference between solitude and isolation. Right. No, yeah. I'm isolation is what happens time. alone on my cell phone. Isolation is what happens when I tune everybody out and I kind of get away and go into my sinful world. And so we're not talking about isolation. Right. We're talking about solitude and healthy solitude. And actually, it's not solitude because you're you're in relationship with Jesus at that moment. You're in uh, communication with Him. You're not isolated from those you love and those key relationships. So super super important to note. So uh, and you said you had a hero story. What is it? I did. Uh, this one, I found it on our iTunes uh, podcast account, and it says, Such a wide variety of guest interviews that make me a better man, father, husband, employee, and a member of my community. That, that's exactly what we're hoping. That, that is right there. When people say, what do you do? I say, this is what we try to do right here. So uh, that was from Jeb HD 4 Hey, man, hit us up. I want to send you some swag. Um, you can our metal, our metal manna. Yes, baby. You have to see this thing, this metal manna. You know, it's manna legit. in the Hebrew means, what is it? You're going to get this thing. You're going to go, this is awesome. What is it? So we want to send that to you, man. A couple stickers. We'll call it our swag bags. Info, info at meninthearena.org. Hit us up. So, hey, guys, I, I gotta, I've been talking about this guy, and I'm really excited to bring this guy on. His name is Brad Huddleston. He is 56 years old, but he looks like he's about 36 as you can tell on YouTube, he lives in the Shenandoah Valley, Virginia, with his beautiful wife of 30 years, Beth. Uh, Brad is an internationally respected speaker, consultant, teacher, author on the important issues such as technology and culture. He's spoken to hundreds and thousands around the world on both the advantages of well-used technology tools and the dangers of the growing trend towards technology addiction. Brad has an ongoing collaboration with the Bureau Market Research and its Neuroscience Division at the University of South Africa. He's also a frequent guest on radio and television and the author of Digital Cocaine, A Journey Towards Balance, which is our topic for today. Brad, we are pumped to have you on today. I, I personally thank you for the book and your ministry. It is making a difference. Welcome to our show. Well, thanks, Jim. And uh, uh, I mentioned before off off mic how much I appreciate what you do as well. And I'm very grateful uh, to be on this podcast. And I look forward to your podcast being a regular part of my spiritual diet, too. Um, so, again, it's an honor to be here. Well, my journey with this technology thing goes back to college, back, you know, right before the waters were receding. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have a computer science degree and uh, graduated with a four-year degree in computer science. So I don't I say that to my audiences because I don't want them to think I hate technology. I don't. And I did not renounce uh, my computer science degree when I started learning all this stuff about digital addiction. 
and also graduated from Bible college. So I'm uh, an evangelist by credentialing. And uh, that's what I do uh, is really spread the gospel through this. It gets me into a lot of places around the world where the gospel certainly, you know, you wouldn't go in uh, under the guise of a minister. But once you get in with this topic, Mm. then you let your light so shine before men. Some countries like Africa often say you can start preaching on the plane as soon as you get on the plane. It doesn't matter. But when you go into Muslim countries and places like that, you have to go in a little more stealth. So I just want to be clear that I don't hate technology, and the purpose of this is not to condemn people who are addicted or, you know, to make people feel shamed or bad. I think the whole world has fallen underneath of this shadow of digital addiction, and so the mission is to help people be free because we have a wonderful Savior who will replace that addiction with himself, and he's the Prince of Peace. The journey started, Jim and Dale, a long time ago, um, probably around 18, 19 years ago now, received a a phone call from our youth leader at church. And some of you, you, you guys may remember um, MySpace, yeah. and it was a predecessor yeah. to Facebook. Now, that's how far back it goes. But the youth leader came to me and said, look, uh, I need to show you some of these things called profiles. I didn't even know what they were at the time. Um, so we sat down, and she, she logged in and started showing me and I, uh, these things. And I noticed these profiles are kids in our youth group from our church. And they were just doing vile things. And we didn't have terms for them back then like we do now, but what they essentially were doing were sexting. They were mimicking pornography. And and listen, the church we go to is, is Bible-based. We believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of Scripture. These are good parents. Um, but I was shocked and angered and all this sort of stuff. And so she said, uh, you know, should we go to the pastor? And I said, well, if you don't, I will. And so we went to the pastor, and he asked me, he said, look, pretty much said something like, you know, hey, you're the nerd. Why don't you deal with it? Um, so on a Sunday morning, uh, he had me do a presentation, and it just took off. And what I did, I started looking into the other good churches in our area where I would go and preach, and Christian schools and public schools uh, where I would go and speak. And I realized this was across the board. It was hidden, uh, especially the, at that time. The older generation didn't know hardly anything about the technology, but the kids had picked up on it you know, very rapidly in this whole issue of pornography and uh, you know, video game playing and, and social media even, it was just exploding. There was no filtering software much, yeah, and so it was just like a virus. So what I ended up doing, I went I, at that time I, I was hosting a television show on a, a regional network here in Virginia, and I went to them and said, hey, we've got this thing going on. Uh, I pitched a, a one-hour special on the dangers or the dark side of social media or something like that, and they bit. Well, the whole... Uh, emphasis of what we do, not in terms of spreading the gospel, but the way we get the gospel into people, it just shifted. All these requests came in to speak about it, and eventually a book called The Dark Side of Technology came out of that, and then Digital Cocaine came out of that. The international doors opened up. Well, that opened up about 20 years ago, but it just exploded all over the world, and I'm humbled by it because, you know, I'm I'm like everybody else. I am not a saint. I'm only a saint because of the precious Amen. blood of Jesus who has made me righteous. I don't feel worthy to do this uh, because I've been addicted myself. Uh, I've seen pornography. Fortunately, it's been years, uh, and, and a lot of that's gone from my mind now. But, you know, I'm human. I need accountability. I need men in my life. That's why I love what you're doing because I could fall tonight. So as I go around the world and do this, uh God has obviously touched it, Jim, and for you to say the kind things that you did means so much to me because I do get pushback too. Not not a lot, but I do. 
so I need you guys. I need to hear what you're saying. It's very encouraging. And so that's our mission, and that's a brief history of, of what it's about. My wife is extremely supportive of me. Um, you know, we've had bumps like every marriage has, but over the years I've learned she is my helpmeet, and when she speaks into my life, I've learned to go, yes, dear, uh, not that I don't wear the pants, because I do, and yeah. she wants me to, and uh, not to be overbearing, but she speaks a lot a lot of things into my life that end up in the book, and I've written about her. I think you probably encountered it, especially with the mm. multitasking issue, and she really taught me a whole lot before neuroscience even jumped in, so we should oh, listen to our wives, shouldn't preach we? It. Well, hey, I'm so excited to get you on the show. And, Brad, your book was such a eye-opener to me personally. I, I don't know how we're going to get through all the material, but I, I want to start by throwing you to into the lion's den. We call this our rapid-fire round. So are you ready for this? Okay. Okay, I've pulled out some I'm, I'm key words and phrases out of your book because I'm not sure we'll get to them specifically. And I want – but they're so important. I want you to share what these are, Okay. So the first one is this, and I, I've combined two of them, and the, the two are task switch or switch tasking. Right. That is an offtake of what a lot of people call multitasking. And yes. what has been discovered in the lab, neuroscience labs, uh, not just one but several, is that the brain is a sequential processor. I have a computer sitting over here that has 16 cores, and because it's hyper-threaded, it shows up as 32 so we have hyper-threaded software. I can throw a task, one task at it. It'll divide it up into 32 different subtasks, process it, come back together very rapidly. It used to be thought the human brain could do that, and it turns out the brain is a sequential processor, one processor, and it can only do one thing at a time. And when we attempt to multitask, what we end up doing is lowering our productivity by 40%, 40 percent, four zero, forty percent. So when people, what they're actually doing is switching back and forth between tasks, and that's called toggling, rapid toggling or switch tasking, and it's having a detrimental effect on people's IQ as well. And if you do it in front of people and it annoys them and distracts them, their IQ drops even lower as well during a task. Well, that was my next word for you, was rapid toggling. And so I think you kind of covered that, but I, I so our brains neurologically, I want to emphasize this, are made as sequential processors. So what do we say to the person who goes, oh, man, I'm great at multitasking? How do you respond to that? Liar, liar, pants on fire. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, what I do is I give them a poetry test. So when I'm standing before audiences or even individually, what I, what I do is I have a, a poem that I'll put up on the screen when I'm speaking, and I'll say, look, I'm going to ask you to multitask and not not just the five or six things that you normally do, just two things. So I put a written poem on the screen, and I tell them at the same time I'm going to play a second and different poem being read audibly. And what I want you to do is read the one, listen to the other, and then I'm going to give you a cognitive test to see how well your brain receives two or more streams of data simultaneous. And so the teenagers usually do something like this, like, like you know, they're going to get the old guy, right? And then the adults are rolling their eyes because they know they can't do it. So anyway... I play both at the same time, and then uh, what I do is I give them this simple test. I say, look, I don't want you to quote both poems as brief as they, they were. The only thing I want to know is can you please quote for me, anybody, the first line of each poem. That's it, just the first line. And no one out of hundreds of thousands of people who have taken this test, no one has ever gotten it. And the reason is simple. 
if you your brain is reading the one on the screen, it cannot hear the other one. But we switch so rapidly, you'll pick up a little bit of the next one, but your eyes then, even though they're on the screen, your brain cannot receive that. And so what you end up doing is after about two seconds, your brain gets frustrated and everybody will admit that they stop and they'll focus on one just to try to get something on this stupid test. (laughs) And that's why everybody fails it. So that switching back and forth is called rapid toggling. That's what I say to them. I give them the test and usually hug them because I'm not trying to upset them. I'm trying to help them. And that's the same as switch tasking or tax task switching. That's right. And they think that your productivity is going up and that your cognitive abilities are going up. But in fact, when you test it, it doesn't. Well, I think this is what was going on with me up until I read your book was I had all these things around me going on and I couldn't focus on the tasks at hand. And I would accomplish about 40 percent less. And by two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm done. My mind is shut off. Because I'm rapid toggling, you know, uh, you you quoted Professor Nass, a study that he did, and you said this, uh, he said this, virtually all multitaskers think they are brilliant at multitasking. And one of the big discoveries is multitaskers are terrible at every Mm -hmm. aspect of multitasking. They get distracted constantly. Their memory is disorganized. Recent work we've done suggests they're worse at analytic reasoning. Multitasking may be creating people who are unable to think well and clearly. And that is so powerful. So that leads me to my next rapid fire round statement. It's this internet addiction disorder, right? It is not digital addiction itself is not recognized in America. We use here in this country, our doctors do and clinicians use what is called the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's up to version number five. And they refuse to acknowledge digital addiction. Now, that's not the case in in other parts of the world where I go, such as Asia. So, for example, in South Korea, I was fortunate to keynote at Global Youth Forum there. South Korea has 400 digital detox rehabilitation centers. At the writing of digital cocaine, they had 200. Since then... Uh, according to other sources that I've read since then, um, Dr. Nicholas Cardaris has documented 400 of them there. Wow. That's because their diagnostic uh, manuals for all kinds of mental and psychological disorders recognizes it so you can get help. The government has put a lot of money into these centers, and that's where a lot of the best research comes from. But in America, they refuse to acknowledge it. So IAD, Internet Addiction Disorder, is a real thing I submit to you, and everybody knows it. And the doctors here that I work with or, you know, when they're in my audiences, they sort of wink, wink because they, they see all this stuff in their practices that I'm talking about. They, they fully acknowledge it and appreciate the help that I give them because doctors need professional development as well yes. to know what to look for when they come in. And so do the psychologists and psychiatrists and everybody else. So it, it is a real thing, even though that that manual that the West uses, particularly America, does not acknowledge it. Why do you think that is? Well, I can theorize, and and, and it's all I can do. So please understand this is, you know, in the academic world, if you notice in my book, everything's footnoted. Yeah. I have no footnote for what I'm about to tell you, okay? It is strictly a rumor. It's an Internet conspiracy. Call it what you will, but this is what I honestly think. I think the tech industry – you know, is making so much money and they have so much influence and control. And I think we've seen that over the past few months, especially with the election and, you know, deplatforming people who go off script and all that sort of stuff. I think our economy is based digitally now because we've outsourced 
so much work overseas to India and China and these places that you just don't dare talk about it. You just don't dare talk about it. And every now and again, you'll hear a leak. The New York Times, probably the only time we'd be blessed by the New York Times, they ran a long <laughs> story about Steve Jobs never allowing his children to use the iPad. He, he, and it's in his book, uh, Steve Jobs, uh, written by Walter Isaacson. Um, you know, I always tell audiences, Steve Jobs loved his children, adored them, his children, not your children, his children. That's so key. he he wants you. So and then, of course, the tech, a lot of the tech industry leaders send their kids to an analog school system called Waldorf Steiner. And I've spoken in Steiner in Johannesburg, South Africa. They brought me in because they had a an Instagram outbreak. Now, they're not supposed to have Instagram, <laughs> but they had an Instagram outbreak. So they brought me in to deal with it. And it's all true. Uh, they don't give they do introduce technology somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14. And the reason why these tech executives will send their kids there is because they know exactly what I'm talking about. Not what I'm talking about. I mean, they, they knew that before I knew it. But all of us who've dealt with IT for any length of time know what this is doing. And so they don't want their kids to experience it. And they also are asked not to have technology at home. And so they agree to this, and they pay lots of money to send their kids there. And, Jim, if I may, I have to say I cannot recommend, in all good conscience, um, Waldorf Steiner. Um, they're a bit – I do agree 100% with their brain science and the reason why they withhold technology. That, to me, is solid. But to be honest, these are wonderful people, and I went because I'm an evangelist, and they treated me so well. And um, and, I, and I served them as best I could. But, but their curriculum is new age. I got you. It would be the reason. Yeah. So I want to – I want to jump on something that you said. I think, guys, if you are listening right now, which I know you are, you need to stop and focus on what I'm about ready to say and what I'm going to read because this is this is a game changer for you as you lead your families. You need to stop and listen to this. So here it is, Brad. In your book, I'm going to just kind of scan through some sections of your book. Evan Williams is a founder of Twitter, Blogger, and Medium. He said in lieu of iPads that their two young, he, he said that in lieu of iPads, their two young sons have hundreds of traditional books that they are welcome to pick up and read anytime. Chris Anderson is the former editor of Wired and now chief executive of 3D Robotics. And he said the number one rule in our house is there are no screens in the bedroom, period, ever. Belinda, Bill and B Melinda Gates, now I guess they're divorced, but set a time limit of 40, he's the founder of Microsoft set a time limit of 45 minutes a day, total screen time for games and an hour a day on the weekends. Additional time is spent on homework. And then lastly, you alluded to Stephen jobs. He made a point of having dinner with his children at a big long table in their kitchen, discussing books, history, and a variety of things. And the New York times, they must've been shocked when they interviewed Steve jobs and they asked him about, his kids and how much they must love the iPad, which he invented. And he said, they haven't used it. We limit how much technology our kids use in the home. So what do mm -hmm. these internet moguls, pioneers, what do they know that our dads don't know? And why is this such a powerful, powerful thing? They know the addictive nature mm. of it. They've experienced it. Many of them, I have a computer science degree. I coded. Not, not, I never went into it professionally, but just during, during school, started in high school coding. We all know what this does to you. 
And uh, my theory is it, it, it breeds a, in some of us a certain form of OCD. Mm. You, you're coding and you get a variable out of whack and you sit there and you start to see this code in your sleep. I mean, it's just not good. And parents who actually love their kids saying, you know, I'm not putting my kid through that. And they also have seen what has happened in the video game industry. I mean, the average age of a video gamer is 35 to 44. When I wrote the book, wow. the, the, I think it was 37 or 36 or something. It's, it's always about the same. They update it every year. And it's a, it's a dad problem, not a kid problem. So a yes. lot of these guys have been gaming for a long time, and they know what it's done to them, and they know the depression and all these things that I've written about. And, and I just surmise they're just not going to put their kids through that. So what they're doing also, especially with Steiner's uh, philosophy that I do agree with, the brain at that age is going through s extreme amounts of development. I mean, between zero and three, the, the brain is tripling in size, and all these neurons are developing, and... Their language is forming, and then it goes modular and all this sort of stuff. And the creativity is developing, and if you hyper-stimulate that, you're going to ruin it. And so what they do is they withhold it, not forever, but they withhold mm. it from their kids, and they let their kids pass through these very delicate uh, stages of brain development. And, and Steiner will tell you many of these kids are the ones that go back into the tech industry and run it. But wow. you see, their brain was preserved during those times, mm. and they let them play in an analog world. They let creativity develop. You can put a kid, you know, and, and a lot of millennial parents don't know this, but you can put a kid out by the, you know, the tree in a sandbox and leave them alone, and it's amazing what will happen because the brain's creativity will kick in trying to solve the boredom problem, and, and they will. And then if you are using somebody else's creativity with a screen, that part never kicks in and develops. And so what you want to do is keep those screens away from them when they're young and let their creativity develop so that when they are mature and their brains have matured, you're talking about creativity and doing some great things. But even then, of course, you still have to do the other things I put in the book, no screens in the bedroom, and you have to try to obey the 80-20 rule and all that sort of stuff. And so what those guys and ladies in the tech industry are doing simply are protecting their children because they love them. So I love your statement, and I, I want our dads to hear this. Let your kids play in the analog world. Can you unpack that a little bit more? Sure. The brain copes quite well out here in the analog world where the sunshine is, where the animals are. And, you know, you mentioned uh, some of my hobbies. Uh, I grew up in the woods hunting and fishing and carrying on, still do all those things. I love guns and you know, and I've often told people, they get upset because, you know, it depends on where you are up north or, sorry if you're from up north, but, um, or, or in places like Australia where I spend a lot of time, you Americans love all your guns. I'm like, yes, we do. And we have an amendment for that. And, and, <laughs> and but I tell them, you know, you jump on me, but your kids are playing Call of Duty and they are shooting, goodness, you know, 150 people an hour. Yep. yep. And when we had gun safety, we were taught how not to shoot people and ourselves. We had some ethics around this. And so playing outside with the animals in the woods and, and doing all those sort of things, the answer is, I love that deer. For those of you listening, Jim just turned his camera toward an awesome buck. How many points are on oh, that thing, buddy? Hey, that's a, that's a, we call that a three by three, even though it's got eight points. And I've got one over here I'll show you. Well, I can't show you now. It's a 26 inch wide six by five I shot in uh, Eastern Oregon this year. Biggest buck of my really? life. Really? Sorry, sorry. Eastern sorry, Oregon. Sorry. I lose no, my no, salvation. No, that, I'm a big hunter, that, man. Big time. That, that, that's a good distraction. So get your kids out and doing those things and fishing and, and that sort of thing. And that's the actual answer because the brain gets put into an artificial environment 
when they're looking at a screen. And I also want to clarify something about that artificial environment. Parents will tell me, well-meaning, they'll say, look, I only allow my children to use these devices for educational purposes. First of all, I don't believe them or their parents are naive. They just say that to excuse it or tell me, you know, tell yep. me what they think. Agreed. Agreed. But what they're doing, even if – let's just play along. Even if it was strictly educational, the brain does not distinguish content. So the brain is going to get addicted regardless of that content. It could be Bible games um, because the screen itself – is going to put the brain in an unnatural environment, then you're going to have all these chemical things that I write about go off regardless. So uh, morally, it would be better to read your Bible uh, than it would be to look at pornography, obviously. But if you're talking about strict addiction, you're going to get addicted, and particularly games that are used in school. This, this has become a big deal now. If you have gamified your curriculum, it works just like a slot machine yep. or any other form of gambling, and they get hooked. And then what quickly happens is it turns into a competition instead of cognition. And so they'll learn. You'll see on the you know the researchers show you'll see this little spike in cognition, but very quickly the addiction takes over, and then all the cognition goes down, and they become competitive. So Brad, you talked about Call of Duty, and you talked about gaming, and you talked about all, you know games as education, you know competition versus. Um, cognition in your book you talk about this dopamine hit and you it's a kick in a molecular switch called delta fos b and this is all from your book i'm quoting you and it starts to accumulate in the brain's reward circuit now with excess chronic consumption of drugs or natural rewards this buildup of delta fos b starts to alter the brain and promote a cycle of, and this is scary, binging and craving. Can you unpack that for us? Sure, I, I absolutely can. What I would like to do is I, I have, uh, and thanks for, for reading that. I want to put on the screen for those who will end up watching this, and I'll describe it in theater of the mind for those who are just watching. I want to put a brain animation that I created or I designed and had a friend create. But a brain animation on the screen and give you an idea of what is actually happening with the Delta Fos B and the dopaminergic response uh, that has so many people concerned. So on my screen, what I have done is replace that with a brain animation there. And what you're looking at is the brain and a little dot. That little dot is called the nucleus accumbens. And in layman's terms, it's just the pleasure center. Whenever you do anything pleasurable, even listening to this podcast, we hope you enjoy it. There's <laughs> nothing wrong with that. And when you enjoy anything, the brain, uh, as typified here or shown on this animation, you can see these little spurts of dopamine going into the, the reward circuit of the brain and uh, the pleasure center of the brain. And it lights up. And what that means or what that represents are brain scans. You can actually see color. Uh, on brain scans when people are being stimulated. But if you also notice there is a wall that's being built up. That wall is tolerance or resistance that's being built up to the dopamine. And it's pushing it out. It's actually trying to protect itself from too much dopamine. Grandma was right. Too much of a good thing can, can be bad. And so you get into this vicious cycle of having to overcome that barrier that's forming. And you end up causing the wall to continue to grow. So you do the activity longer, harder, and more intensely so that you overcome the wall and get your fix. And the illustration that I get uh, give often, an alcoholic doesn't start off being an alcoholic. The alcoholic 
started off innocently enough, maybe by saying, you know what, I'm just going to have a couple of beers after work. It's been a long, hard, you know, stressful day. And that that alcohol stimulates the brain. And it's not the alcohol they're feeling. It's actually the dopamine that is that they're feeling. Over time, they saturate that and that wall starts to form. And suddenly that stress relief doesn't come from the dopamine anymore. And so what do they do? They drink three beers. So they're not getting any more drunk. They have to drink three to stimulate the brain even more to get the dopamine over that that barrier. And that works for a while, and after a while, it stops working. So what do they do? They drink four. So you get the progression here, and that's why the wall gets big or the resistance or the tolerance that builds up. That's what leads to binging. That's what leads to the chronic nature of doing something repetitively. You're chasing that dopamine high. And so what ends up happening, and I'm going to put the brain animation back up there, eventually you'll notice the color in the middle as the wall gets really big, the color disappears. So on a screen, you will see uh, children, for example, who play Minecraft, they have very little color because what's happened is they have stimulated themselves and the symptoms have begun to show. And basically what that means is if they, mom or dad says, hey, look, put that down and come to dinner, they go, okay, but then they don't show mm -hmm. up. If they say, can we, uh, we're going to go to grandma and granddad's and visit, and they'll go, fair enough, but can I take the tablet? And if you say no, they're going to throw a fit. Or if eventually, you know, if you've, and this is dangerous territory in one way, because I don't want to heap guilt on people. I just want to tell you the truth, because the scripture says we shall know the truth, but the truth shall make us Free. what? Free. Free. And that's the point. It's not condemnation. It's freedom. What ends up happening is when you suddenly cut that dopamine off, they begin to have withdrawals. Yep. And that is why they're ha throwing such a fit. An alcoholic would do it. A coke addict will do it. They'll start to justify their behavior. And the more intelligent they are, the more they can talk parents into giving it back uh, or just nag them half to death. But you don't even need to scan the brain to see that it's become what is called medically anhedonic. Yes. When that wall gets really big and you saw the color disappear, that is a medical condition called anhedonia. So kids now all over the world are saying, I'm bored, I'm bored, I'm bored. And then you go, good Lord, why are you bored? you got more stuff than I ever had. Go outside and play. And they go, well, I don't want to go out there either. It's boring out there too. And what is really happening is the lesser stimulating activities – do not generate enough dopamine to get over that wall, and so they're going yep. to beg and scream for the screen. And spiritually, what the burden that I have, guys, the burden that I have is once you become anhedonic, Bible reading doesn't do it anymore. Preaching doesn't do it anymore. The intimacy that God has designed for us has been now transferred onto the addiction because whatever you're addicted to, that's where your affections are. That's where your emotions are, wherever your cravings are. And God never meant us meant for us to put those affections on anything but Jesus, and then secondarily our spouse. Uh, never on it, you know. Idolatry is really what it is if you want to get biblical about it. But neurobiologically, you can explain it as the brain has built up tolerance, and now you are addicted. I hope that I hope that's. No, that's really powerful. You actually answered two questions, but that to become anhedonic, that you know, an means without and heat and you know pleasure they can't experience pleasure and they and that's you know and i i'm sure and you're gonna we're gonna get this later on but it, that leads to not only sin and addiction but obesity all sorts of things but i want to get back up to uh something that you uh, talked about through german neuroscientist dr manfred spitzer in his book he wrote a book called digital dementia he actually calls for a total ban on digital media total ban uh it, so in 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 german classrooms 
And so he talks about the deficits in brain development and how they're irreversible. Can you talk to us about digital dementia? Yes, it was discovered in South Korea, at least the first time that I read about it, a long time ago. We have traditional keys when we unlock our door here, but in, in the East, many of them have the keypads on their house. Yeah. I mean, like most of them do. And they noticed that these children, when they'd come home from school, they were forgetting. Now, these are clever kids. If you know anything about Asia, um, that's all they do is study. They're very intelligent. <laughs> yeah. And the, the yes, competition yeah. to get into college, I mean, during in South Korea, the suicide rates go off the charts during college entrance exams because if they don't get in, I mean, that, they live for that. They yeah, noticed yeah. that as smart as these children are, they could not remember simple things like their keypad number. I mean, volumes of them. And when they looked into it, they noticed that the brain was responding to digital technology almost identically, symptomatically as Alzheimer's patients. Wow. And so that led to a whole lot of studies to this point where if you've ever had anyone in your family that has Alzheimer's, you, 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 it's a sad thing. You may have gone to a number of very good and helpful websites on how to cope with that. You'll notice if you've done that, that many of the websites or some of them now are adding digital dementia to their help lists of, in Alzheimer's websites. So that's what's happening. The brain, you start to forget things because it's overstimulated. And basically, there's a lot of research going into ADD and ADHD. And you just can't stay focused on any one thing long enough. It's being induced by the digital technology. That's a little bit of a side note. But digital dementia is a very real thing. So it mimics Alzheimer's and people are forgetting things and being, I think, sometimes being misdiagnosed with certain forms of dementia when if they were to just detox from the technology, you would at least establish a more accurate baseline. And in some people, you would find out that they don't even have it at all. So it's increasing. And, and, and the German doctor, you know, this is going to sound extreme, guys, but I've come to the same conclusion. I've, I've been doing this, you know, since the Internet came out. And I have watched the whole thing of, oh, let's just put filtering software on there. Let's just put routers with, you know, timers and all this sort of stuff. Obviously, none of that's ever worked or there would be no need for me to be on this podcast. It would totally. have been totally. solved. And so what I've come out to say to people, you know, the only good snake is a dead one, dead, dead snake. One. Right. So if the snake keeps biting you and, you know, it can bite through your boots and all that stuff that you've tried, might be time to cut the head of the snake off. Um because what's more important, you know, you being connected, and, and I hear parents say, well, when I suggest that you cut the head of the snake off, oh, my child will be made fun of. Or, uh, you know, my child will be left out. And I'm like, you know, really, this is an issue of values at this point. You know, what is the most important thing on earth? Your kid having a deep, deep, deep connection to Jesus and their family and your family, or is it more important that they're have friends who are no good for them in the first place, but they all have phones, and that's the most important thing. So the German doctor is is making a good point for the vast majority of people, you know, who really just can't handle it. And it sounds extreme, but in my world, Jim and Dale, we say we think this. We know that that this is doing the exact same thing as cocaine. Yeah. I mean, the dopaminergic response is three hundred percent for a snort. And so we know that video games are doing that to children. So while the parents are looking at me saying, you're extreme, we're thinking giving a child the equivalent of 300% dopaminergic response, which is cocaine, that's extreme, giving that to a kid. But then, then they want to throw out words like balance and limit and neutral. Well, saying those things for 25 years has never worked. Yeah. 
So I think it's it's time to get those out of the vocabulary and start talking about the snake now. And so I agree with the German doctor, and I've come to that. I didn't always feel that way, but I've never seen anything solve it. And then we have only 4% of our Gen Zers, those born from 97 up to about 2012, only 4% now in this country have a biblical worldview. And when you trace back that statistic, along with the cutting and all the suicide, which is up 70%, it's all social media driven. Yeah. With all the PTSD yeah. from bullying and all that sort of stuff, it changes the brain. And, and it's, it's alarm. Sometimes, guys, I just have to shut everything off and go to the gym. Um, and I've gotten, you know, pretty big biceps from shutting it off quite often. <laughs> I'm not bragging, not bragging. I love it. I'll arm wrestle hey, anybody I love it. as a very short person. It. I'll give it a go. The sun's out, the gun's out, baby. Well, you know, early in your book, uh, and you've already said it once, early in your book you said it is for freedom that Christ sets you free, right? You know, and that you quoted John eight thirty two, And this is what we're talking about, guys. We're talking about freedom. And, guys, what I would say to you is this. What is more important to you, being your children's buddy or being their dad? They don't need a buddy. They need a parent. And so, you know, in your book, you talk about these limits. And, uh, you know, we looked at Bill Gates. We look at Stephen Jobs. We look at some of these guys who are the fathers of technology. And it seemed like they limited their kids to 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, one survey you in your book, you said one survey found that those between eight and 18 spend an average of seven hours and 38 minutes using inter mm -hmm. entertainment media. And the Barna Group's 2011 uh, family and technology report revealed that many of us, us, us are spending more than eight hours a day plugged into the digital world. So you know, you you mentioned any digital activity that goes beyond one hour is going to push that adrenal system beyond its normal limits. So talk to our dads listening to this right now. Talk to our parents. I know you want to give them freedom, but sometimes that freedom comes in the form of repentance. And we've got some dads right now that need to repent and they need to help their children to do so. So how would you do that in a loving way? What are you going to tell these guys as far as limits go? You know, there's an updated statistic since I wrote the book, um, oh, and it, it depends on where you are, but the latest is 12 and a half hours is what it's up to. Oh, oh Lord, help Lord help us. Oh, and that's, man. And that's cumulative. I mean, that's from the time, you know, sitting in front of the television plus checking your phone at the same time, and wow. you know, it's just screen, 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 screen. So when you total up what you're required to do at work, um, even legitimate things, you put all that together, it's, it's dominating more than half our day now in a 24-hour period. And there's a verse of Scripture that I, I lean on quite a bit when dealing with that very question, and thank you for allowing me to answer that. Um, 2 Corinthians six seventeen says this, Come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I'll receive you. There is a price to be paid for following Christ. We don't talk about the cross much and bearing our cross, but it's still there. And I remember a guy holding a child up in church one time when I, years ago when I first started in ministry, and he told the congregation, he's a good old West Virginia boy, um, and in his you know really awesome country sort of redneck way, he said, you know, I, I love y'all in this church. I love every one of you. And, and he held his boy up and he said, and I love my boy. And he said, but as much as I love y'all, I would never give this boy up for, for one of you. Because um, I love him, and 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 what he was obviously illustrating, in a very powerful way, is that God so loved the world mm. that He paid a very heavy, deep price, and He actually went through with that and gave His Son up, so that our sins 
could be put on him. And for us to willingly keep our sins as and claim to be believers is a terrible, terrible thing to do to God after what he has sacrificed for us in order to have relationship with him, to have our sins as awful as they are. He says he will throw them into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. So the thing I would say to dads is deal with your addictions first because mm. you cannot tell your kids uh, do as I say, not as I do, and then they see you on your phone all the time or mom on social media constantly and you're gaming or you've justified gaming and brought your kid into it because it's your time to bond. I mean, I've, I've heard it all. And to, to the greatest thing, according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, is for you to talk about the Word of God when you rise up, when you lay down, when you walk along the street, you put them on the doorpost and the sideposts. That sounds like social media, doesn't it? Yep. <laughs> Except he's yep. talking about God's Word. I mean, our whole world should revolve around that. And, and that says in Deuteronomy 6 that we are to, that the, the parents are to do that to children, not for you to pay the, this Christian school to do it, not for you to harass the youth leader because he's not doing enough. There, we in parachurch ministries are a supplement. That is your job. And I'm not trying to put guilt I actually enjoy imparting scriptures to people. You do too, Jim. Yeah. I mean, that's what we do. Yeah. That's not a burden. That is something. My grandparents, when my parents divorced when I was four, my grandparents stepped in, and I often facetiously say they Bible bashed me at the kitchen table about every day. And uh, and I love it. I mean, everywhere, everything, all of life's decisions were made with that book open. Yep. And it, look how I turned out. I'm, I'm a little off in places, but, you know, I still love the Lord. I'm still doing okay. I'm fighting the fight. I have sins, but I know where to run when I do. I know when to repent. I know how to do it because I was taught as a child. I was taught as a child how to fast. Can you imagine that? Now if you did that, they'd call that abuse. Um, but, I mean, it was taught. My grandma would say, son, let me tell you something. Um, I don't know what to tell you, but we know who knows. Yep. And we're going to go without yep. food for a little while. And Jesus is going to take care of this. And he would. To That is the highest thing in the world Not that, that we can do, not trying to figure out a way to, well, how many hours a day can we gain? Mm. I mean, it just sounds, it, that pales in comparison to imparting the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus to a child when you put it in that perspective. That's what I would say to dads. It, it, you are not, Dr. Howard Hendricks said this, we don't live correctly because we don't think correctly. So we have to think correctly about these things in order to in order to have a proper view of God and a proper relationship with him. That's so powerful, man. You know, I, I'm thinking about what you're saying here. I'm thinking, you know, the pen, the the baby, uh, the busters, the Gen Xers, us, our generation, Brad, we have allowed the pendulum to swing way too far. And now it's up to the millennials and the Gen Zers to bring that pendulum back. Because you, you know, you said something in your book that is so powerful. You probably don't realize how powerful this statement is, but I'm going to read it. You said this, and guys, listen to this statement. We're speaking to you today. Apple does not care about the health of your child's brain. They only care about the brain health of their own children. What Apple cares about is the money you'll fork out for their devices. Man, I, I want you to hear that. And then, Brad, you keep saying this. You know, you're not here to bring guilt but to empower, but I want to read reread what you wrote in your book. If you are a parent, I'm not trying to make you feel condemned or angry. I'm trying to empower you. I strongly recommend you taking a firm grip on anything that is bringing harm and discord to your home because your child 
is worth it. Anything you want to add there, Brad? Repentance simply means this. We're walking in a direction contrary to God's will, and God, out of his mercy, sends somebody. could be his Holy Spirit, could be this podcast, but he sends something to interrupt that journey that you're on going in the wrong direction. And what he's simply saying to you is, I still love you, but I want you to put this thing down. I want you to turn around and walk toward me in this area of your life. Not because I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to judge you. I mean, ultimately we will if we walk away from God. We, God's you know, discipline will get more severe because he loves us. He chastises those whom he loves. But we just turn around and we give that thing to him. And some, when people are addicted, they cannot imagine life without yeah. it. So it's a step of faith to do it. You're feeling convicted. Now, I do want people to feel convicted, not Correct. condemned, but convicted Correct. by the Holy Spirit. And, and then by faith, you do whatever you have to do. You call a friend and you, you form accountability alliances, whatever it takes. And you give that thing to God and you walk toward him. Because what we want to do is turn around and walk toward him, but keep these things that are so pleasurable. And God says, you give that to me and I will return to you a hundredfold in this time and in the, come, and, and in the time to come. The, the prosperity people make that into a big deal about money. I would much rather have a tenfold blessing on my marriage than hey, money amen. any day. I've gotten used to not having money. I'm in ministry. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, it. you know, I, I love yeah. yeah. I heard you had some stresses, oh, too. Baby. Amen, especially oh, with baby. COVID. So I'm with you 100%. But really, wouldn't you, Jim, wouldn't you, and Dale, wouldn't you much rather have a tenfold blessing, applied, that scripture applied to your marriage than money any day? I would. And, and how about your kids? Wouldn't you want that blessing to fall on them? So repentance and walking back toward God has so many benefits to it. And, and look, if you want the neurobiological and the psychological word, they call it detox. Yep. We Christians call it repent. Yes. Well, you, so, so you know what I really loved about your book is you spent – it wasn't a long book. I don't think it was much more than – if it was even 200 pages. It was a pretty short read. But you over and over through the book, I think at least three times by my personal count – you offer solutions. You keep offering them. You keep offering them. And at the end of the book, you go, guys, here are four solutions. And I'm like, well, duh, you've already said it. But you laid it out. And so, guys, listen, this is your action item. We're going to get our boots on the ground. We're going to spend 15 to 20 minutes right now putting boots on the ground. You need to act on this, and you need to do it now. I acted on it immediately. I, I implemented three things into my life, like ASA, please. And I want you to think about these solutions. And so, Brad, would it be more helpful if I list, you know, list them one by one, or do you want to go through them yourself? What would be the most helpful for you? They start on page 204. Well, let me, if it's okay with you, let me go over it. And then, Jim, you supplement, because what I've done, I'm writing another book called Digital Rehab, and it's subtitled Digital Detox and Beyond. So let me incorporate some of the new stuff with what you have, and then you fill in any blanks that you want to. Would that be okay? Yeah, and I will add this, Brad. When is that book coming out? Well, um, <laughs> you, you know what it's like. Have you ever written a book? You've written a book. Nine. Nine. Yeah, okay, Nine. so how many times did you say it'll be next month, but it was like four months or ten months? Oh, yeah. Hey, okay. hey I, I feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit right now. Yeah, well, I'm feeling it too. Thank you very oh. much. Well, here, here's what I want to say. When that book comes out, Brad, I want to ask you to please send me a copy. I want to get you back on the show. You this know is, I will. This is this is this is meat and potatoes stuff for men. So so let's start. I'll, you go ahead and give us the four solutions, and I will supplement what I can. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go rapid fire on some of these. Is that okay, Jim? Yeah, uh, we love rapid, love fire. rapid fire. If you are addicted, 
if you're truly addicted and the person who's addicted is not the one qualified to determine that you have to ask someone else. And I recommend your spouse without getting mad because she's probably addicted too. So mm-hmm, don't say, mm-hmm. well, you could do social media. Don't be doing the guy thing, all right? Just go, yes, dear. And take it from God. And then, look, if you as a man will deal with your addiction, I promise you, you're going to have a lot easier time convincing your wife just by the way you deal with it, all right? So if you are addicted, you have to detox first. Because if you try to wean, and in some drug cases you have to wean. In digital, all the models show cold turkey. Amen. So you have to you have to go cold turkey and and in trying to back off or wean is sort of like trying to put a Band-Aid on a broken bone. So detox comes first. And how long does it take in the best case scenario from the clinics who do this with people? Four to six weeks. Wow. Yep. And during that four to six weeks, you can't have any screens, including television, not even a little bit on Saturday. Remember, cocaine is also bad on Saturday, just like it is on Tuesday. So you have to do that, and, and you have to plan this because this is going to require time. You may have to do it during a holiday, during vacation, or something like that. You may have to take days off you've accumulated. And then you return to limited technology using the definition, the neuroscience definition of limit. And basically that means, I always say this, you, I'll give you this one thing, and you'll get the idea of what I'm talking about, limit. Nobody's ever come to me, Jim, and said, oh, Brad, pray for me. I'm so addicted to Word. I just can't stop typing. <laughs> So we get in, we get out. So you know the programs that you get in that are very useful. So you're not going to get addicted to those. Technically, you could, but you're not. But you know the porn, YouTube binging, all that sort of stuff. You're going to have to make some very hard decisions with those snakes and their heads Mm -hmm. and what you do with them. Monotask. We talked about toggling. We talked about multitasking. So think about that correctly. You do one thing at a time, and that is everything that you do. Everything from conversations to washing the clothes to writing your reports for the boss all and the kids studying monotask as much as problem as much as possible. And research clearly shows that you learn more when you read from paper than a screen. And so there's a lot of research and you just have to trust me about this. Jim, is my is my book footnoted? Oh, I've written all over your book. In fact, I read okay. I read about 50 books a year. I'm on 28 right now. And they're all written and highlighted, and I just write all over them. It's so important to kind of process. But what I mean is, if you turn to the back, I can justify the research. For oh, all. your your book. Oh, I thought you were my personal footnotes. Yeah, no, yes. no, I'm talking about yes. is my book footnoted? Oh, all, In other words, uh, my, all, and my document. Okay, exceptionally. So I'm going to make these rap, rapid fire statements. Research also shows that you learn more when you take notes on paper instead of typing them. You mentioned very well about removing all technology out of the bedroom and go to sleep. And people will often ask me, well, how am I going to wake up? And I'm like, get an alarm clock, a traditional one. So get a traditional alarm clock. Or just wake up when you um, wake, up. wake up. That's right. I, I, I got rid of a, a, a pile of social media accounts, and I recommend that all family members decide on one, and every family member use the same account. And when I say that in schools, they scream and laugh at me. But I don't care. I stick with it. Yeah. Uh, basically, your kids, you know, y- you get the idea, all the accountability there. Keep a regular schedule. Beth and I go to bed very early. We get up in the wee hours of the morning, and we have our devotions, our prayer time, go to the gym. No screens because I give God the first fruits of the day, and then the screens come on. I'm doing these podcasts and so forth. Adults need eight to eight and a half hours of sleep every night, and teenagers need about nine and a quarter to nine and a half. When you are studying and working, so students and parents, no music 
when you're studying and working. And your kids will fight you. Music addiction is a different subject, but trust me, it is just yep. like porn. Yep. yep. And yep. so you got to be very careful about that. Uh, no music while sleeping. And then no screen time before school. None. Or they're going to have ADHD. The, the term is called post-stimulation attentional drift. Wow. So you want to make sure that before your work, give your boss all of your brain. Um, so, parents, the last thing, a couple of things here. Uh, it is not against the law for you to ban smartphones. <laughs> Just want to make – and no video games. The one thing I would tell you, hands down, to get rid of completely, no video games. And then I'll still get emails saying, well, so how many hours a week can I play? I said none. And it's based on the brain scans. Um, I can show you things that will scare you, the Minecraft brain, all these things. Um, they're just too toxic. I didn't say throw all, all technology away. You and I are using an awful lot of technology to make this yes. podcast. We don't live in the same area. Not against it. But video games, I would say get rid of them and, and don't sell them. Otherwise, you're a drug pusher. Get, shoot them. Get rid of them completely. Um, get out in nature a lot. Replace all electronic babysitters with humans right away. And reading, uh, there's a neuroscientist by the name of Susan Greenfield. She has shown, and it's the only thing I've ever come across that has ever actually helped ADHD, and that's reading books printed on paper. Yeah. Long yeah. form, deep thinking, in total quietness for extended periods of time. It extends the attention span. And so I want to show you guys a picture, not to be braggadocious, but this, you know, I've been on both sides of this fence. That's my end of the couch. I've read a pile of Spurgeon books during COVID, two different versions of the Bible. And look at that dictionary. It's, it's an old school dictionary there and a journal. And I have devotions every morning and I just absorb things. And there are no screens in that picture whatsoever. And so my cognition with God and his word has gone way up because I need it. I'm, I'm only a saint because the blood of Jesus has made me one. I'm a redneck. And so I have a redneck carnal nature that has to be crucified every day. And so that's where I do it. I hope oh, that's been man. helpful. Oh, man, you and I identify as rednecks. That's so funny. Well, my couch this morning had Eric Bowles' new book that we're going to have on the podcast next week. And I'm reading Ragamuffin Gospel by Brendan Manning again. Jesus Story by Whitehorse Publishing and uh, the One Year Bible through NLT. And so those are my four just this morning. And so, so Brad, this is so powerful. We need to get our guys moving forward. We've like, got to get our boots on the ground, which we like to do every uh, podcast episode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to page 204 of your book, and I'm going to put these this wonderful list of things. I'm going to put them into four categories. And if you have anything you want to add after the fact, I know you've already spoken through most of these. Go ahead and do it. The first solution, so four solutions. The first one, and you had mentioned this, which is monotasking, which basically is give up multitasking, which this personally is what deeply impacted me. Uh, establishing a rule in your team meetings, no technology. And three, and I love this, and I don't think you mentioned this, and if you want to jump in and uh, uh, embellish, I'll let you hear Take time and give yourself permission, which goes back to our man word today, to think and be alone. Do you want to add anything there? Yes, absolutely. The Jesus got away from the crowds for a reason. And he, uh, look, I'm in ministry, and, and it tugs at your heart when people are needy, if you really are in it for the right reasons. So a steady stream of people either coming to the door or, you know, uh, in the email, but... 
you're not going to do them any favors, all the needy people, unless you have something to give. The number one distraction that we have in our generation is technology. So give yourself permission to disconnect. Detox first, otherwise the craving will overshadow it. But as, as Jim is testifying to, once that goes away, boy, do you crave that solitude. And I get where you were coming from at the beginning. It is solitude on our part, but it's for connection with God. So it's yes, solitude yes. from people for connection with God. Absolutely. So that's so good. You know, a special shout out right now to Owen, Andrew, and Anthony, and Dale uh, came over and built a deck in my backyard. And we've got a fire uh, pit there now. And I'm going to tell you something, the times I'm spending there with the flames going at night in solitude, uh, they're literally life-changing. So, guys, take time to do that. And so solution two, and I want, and you said this already, but you said tech-free bedrooms. Now, at my house, no TV, no nothing in there. I have to have a totally dark room. Uh, this is really important. And I've, I'm sleeping more now than I have. In the, the last two years, I've learned how to fall asleep at night. I take... Uh, magnesium and I have a dark room and I do one other thing that I won't mention because the guys might think it's a man law violation. <laughs> Dan, no. Can Dan, I jump no. in about the bedroom real quick? Yes. When it comes to the problems that we're dealing with, with all these pornography stats, for example, where the stats are exactly the same in the church as it is outside yep. of the church. We estimate that 80% of those problems are in the bedroom come from the bedroom not outside of the bedroom that's the privacy part mm. the social media where the children cut themselves where they're doing self-harm and they are uh, committing suicide thinking about suicide having the dark thoughts bedroom so there are advantages uh, what i tell men when i'm at men's conferences if you're sleeping you're not porning yes think of it that way uh, but the, the the all of these things that are going on with the deep addictions that really require quite a bit of outside of God's sudden intervention. Sometimes God does it quickly. Sometimes He walks us through the solution. Eighty percent, we estimate, is going on in the bedroom. So it's a lot more than just sleep. As important as that is, and you are correct, it is staying away from sin. We're back to isolation, right? So in the United States, according to your book. The United States of America has the highest number of sleep-deprived students, with seventy-three mm -hmm. percent of nine and ten-year-olds and eighty percent of thirteen to fourteen-year-olds. And rounding out the top countries in the world are New Zealand, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Australia. And so that's important, guys. The sleep is so important. So solution number three, and I'm surprised this hasn't come up yet. It has because you bragged about your biceps, but exercise, <laughs> exercise. Why is exercise so important to overcome this digital cocaine? It's one of the few things that has been shown to actually heal the brain. Wow. Um, it wow. does so many, it brings about so many chemical changes. It burns off the, the negative stress hormones that are created throughout the day, cortisol and a whole bunch of things that get released. Just And the toxins, you know, our brain builds up toxins every day. Yeah. Sleep is the only thing in its proper amount that flushes it, but you actually change the full chemistry of the brain when you're outside and when you exercise. Exercise is so powerful. It re releases endorphins, which brings stress relief. Um, you know, somebody asked me or have been asked many times, is exercise addictive? And I'm like, well, technically, yes. But every time I go into Walmart, I'm quickly reminded not too many people struggle with that. So have a go. See if you can get addicted. So well, I got to quote your book. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote your book because in your book you said, I must warn you. 
There are side effects to exercise, and here are just a few. And then you continued. Weight loss, improved blood pressure, improved sugar levels, improved cholesterol, and compliments for your friends and family. And I would say a vigorous sex life. And I've experienced, you said, I have a fear, I've experienced all these side effects, and I no longer have to unbutton my pants after eating. So if you can handle these side effects, I recommend you start today. So I love that quote. But it's, it's so true. You know, uh, if those who exercise, you get 30% more energy, energy during the day after exercise. And it's just unbelievable. If I can't exercise after 5 o'clock at night because I can't fall asleep, I'm just, I'm amped. So that's so, and I think conversely, Brad, is there a correlation between the digitally addicted and lack of exercise and obesity? Oh, yeah. The the numbers are clearly there for that because you're sedentary. You're sitting behind a screen because you can't multitask. So you can't jog and look at the screen. Now, you can listen to music and jog, and you put the phone on your shoulder or attach it somewhere else. That's fine. That's not actually going to hurt you. But, you know, when you look at the screen, you can't multitask. But I want to say something else. Uh, in studying this whole exercise issue, the other day I came across something that was fascinating. When you're depressed, when people are, like, severely clinically depressed, if they get start to work out, if they go on a hard sprint, their depression leaves just like that. Now, it doesn't mean it won't come back, but for instant relief, there's something so powerful about that that it changes the chemistry. And, of course, if you keep exercising uh, and then you change the way you think and you let the Prince of Peace come into your life, you know, you can deal with that depression on, on, on a number of different levels. But the exercise alone just changes the brain and those sudden HIT training, high-intensity interval training, these things are so healthy for the brain and the emotions. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to throw that in there to help motivate people to get off the screens and get outside and move around. Yeah, it's so powerful. And so those, so we've got three solutions so far, monotask, sleep, and exercise. And the fourth one is, and this is kind of relates to exercise, it's just simply this, engage in analog activities and so you list of you list them. take a nap walk run have a cup of coffee with a friend play a card game real cards get a proper amount of sleep for your age play board games go fishing hunting hiking skiing hunting kayaking skiing canoeing hunting throw a ball hunting <laughs> uh analog I, I just think it's really interesting that you are you are oh. talking you're calling them and oh that's a glock scary oh, that's a glock yeah. And so is this one. <laughs> oh, see, the Glocks don't fit in my hand. I'm a Springfield guy. Yeah, this is old school. This is my dad's. Oh, 38 special. Yeah, that's right. And that's the tip of the iceberg. So play with these things. Seriously play with them. Not like play play, but like a kid would. Well, haphazardly. Yeah, I, But the point is get outside and enjoy. And if that's not your thing, if that's not your kid's thing, find out what is that, that is analog related and invest in that. Uh, invest in that. I mean, look, we grew up thinking soccer. I won't even say what we grew up being told. But if your kid likes soccer, I've even toned it. Teach them how to play soccer. Invest in a soccer ball and whatever they want. But just anything that they're interested in that's not sinful, help them by doing it. Oh, well, I've got a good friend who's in love with soccer. And I said, man, my kids all played soccer until they learned how to play sports. And so... <laughs> Jim, I'm we just, have I'm, got to go hunting together I'm and just stay at camp. Hey, this has nothing to do with the podcast. I don't. Well, this has nothing to do with the podcast. But last, I just, uh, in fact, Dale came as well. And the guys know we did our last couple podcast episodes from a friend's house in Lanai. I took my middle son 
for his 25th birthday, uh, we came home with six Axis deer in the cooler. And so, and my buddy who's a pastor came over, he shot a big Axis deer. So I killed two, Darby shot one, my buddy, my buddy Dean killed one, and then another friend of mine who's a guide gave us two. And so uh, super excited about uh, diving into Ranella's book, Meat Eater, and doing some shank roasts. So anyway, that has nothing to do with anything we're talking about, except that I firmly believe in the analog lifestyle. <laughs> well, it's man talk, and it does relate. So yeah, you know it's, it. it's so, an hey, analog thing to do. Oh, Brad, thanks so much. This book has personally been inspiring for me. It has gripped me. How can these guys get a hold of this book if they want to put a physical book in their hands and read it? Go to my website, bradhuddleston.com. It's bradhuddleston.com, and thank you so much, Jim, for allowing me to, to you know, for promoting that. And, and if there's anything, I can, there's other resources there. We have DVDs of, you know, series on this and that. And uh, Digital Cocaine is also available in Spanish. Uh, if, if, any, if you're trying to reach out, if you have a Spanish-speaking, uh, you know, section of your church and that sort of thing. So it's uh, and the DVD subtitled in Spanish and all that sort of thing. But bradhuddleston.com, and I, I appreciate you announcing. Man, that is so cool. I, I'm really, I've had a great time with you on the show. I look forward to having you on here in the next year or so when you finish the book. And uh, Dale, Soon. Uh, let's, uh, let's take this bad boy home. Uh, drive us home, man. What's next? Guys, if you haven't done so yet, head on over to minutearena.org and order your copy of Jim's newest book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times. Also, guys, we want you to, to challenge you, and we are going to put a link in the bottom of this podcast notes uh, that is going to give you a link to Covenant Eyes. And if, get this app on your device and get a few accountability partners and start a conversation with these guys about what you're looking at. Until next time, fill the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.